0: Sports and Culture Podcast, bringing you the latest buzz and updates from our beloved Prairie View A&M University. Featuring your fellow PV Panthers, Roland Austin, Jay Cleesey, Big Mike Washington, three-time swag champ Gati Rayima, former drum major and HBCU band historian Shanetta Haskell, and Al Williams, driving the show from the hill. Please subscribe and give us five stars and follow us on social media at Panthers underscore 1876. Hello and welcome to the 1876 Sports and Culture Podcast. I am Alan Williams, and today is the finale. Today is the finale. It's our final episode of our glorious first season. We've had a wonderful first season. We love all of our listeners, all our supporters, and all the guests that we've had on the show. Today, of course, we have the second half of Dr. Ruth's episode. And uh, we will be back. This is not the end of a season two. Happens next season, next school season. So around Labor Day Classic time, around August, we will. Be back. We love y'all so much. Here's some Dr. Rue for you. Part two of the two-part series of Dr. Ruth Simmons, the president of the United States of Prairie and AM University.
1: Yeah, so uh wanna wanna shift gears real quick, talk about homecoming. So we have homecoming coming up in November, and there's a lot of pent-up anticipation, and we're all excited already. And you know, we're getting in that age now where our needs are a little bad. So we saw you in that nice golf cart a couple years ago with the so you want to know, can we get some golf cart? permits because uh that
2: walk from the RV lot is getting a little long for us. <laughs> well, we we did have golf carts to help people from the from the lot, but probably not enough of them. <laughs> um and so I will I'll take that back uh to the campus and see if we can do better on that, but, but we certainly uh we certainly need to, <laughs> need to do that and you know, I, I rely on the golf course. Of course, I've been thrown from the golf course—a cart, also, uh, which oh, was goodness. was not a great experience. But, uh, but, but I rely on that because we have a large campus.
1: Yes. actually, yes.
2: I think most people don't realize how large the campus actually is compared with other uh, many other campuses. Um, and so, getting around is uh, can be a real challenge. So.
1: Yeah, we. So they, we'll look, they find
2: we'll, out. They'll look into that. Yeah, we they find
3: out say, real quick how big that campus is when they check their pedometer on that weekend at home.
2: Yes,
1: <laughs> fifty thousand steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we usually send somebody's child over to the bookstore for us and say, "Call us when you get there, and I'll tell you what I want." <laughs> it is.
2: Uh, it is a challenge. Yes. <laughs> but,
3: yes.
1: All right, good deal. So, so, so
3: Dr. Simmons, your um, you're actually your niece, uh, we called a Petey, Cynthia. Oh, <laughs> Cynthia yes, Cynthia. She actually came to campus uh with me back in '93. Uh long-standing friendship with oh, her.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Um, and so she actually brought you by our um, by our tailgate last year for day one crew. Yes. And so we hope that we can see you again uh coming back through there this year to uh, to grace us again and we hope that it'll be a really really nice event for you again well
2: that's nothing quite like homecoming uh yes, but i'm very worried about it uh, because it has grown so much um i'm i'm concerned about the safety of uh people who come to homecoming uh because uh because it is so large and because so many people now from outside the Prairie and family, of course, come, and uh, and I've asked people to really look hard at what we can do to make sure that people are going to be uh, are going to be safe. We don't know what's happening with COVID in the fall, uh, but we know that uh, we certainly learned a lot during COVID about yes, we did. what these um, kind of massive events. Uh, can can do. And so uh, we have people working overtime to try to sort that out and make sure that everybody's going to be able to be to be safe.
1: Indeed, indeed, indeed. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Simmons, we see a lot of universities, uh, especially there are a few private HBCUs that are requiring students to get a vaccine before returning to campus in the fall. Is that something that public institutions in the state of Texas can even consider?
2: Uh, we, we they are going to deliver a legal opinion on it for us, um, and uh, and so I won't I won't say what they're going to rule in the end. But we will be governed by what the state of Texas determines we can legally do. Um, and uh, and the first on the first go round, uh, we were certainly told that we could not uh, require it. Hmm. Um, and whether or not that changes. Uh, is is a question. Okay, and and in part, um, you know, Texas has a very uh, pronounced um, sense of individual freedom.
1: That's and a really that good way of
2: putting
1: it. I need that.
2: The idea that. Well, you see how people are reacting to to the idea that they're being asked, please, to to be vaccinated, right? Um, So so students are in a a little bit of a different category from employees. Um, uh, And uh, we we have a lot of latitude uh, under employment law in terms of what uh, we can uh, do uh, but um, but somewhat less so with students, and uh, so we'll see what they what they rule in the end. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they decided in the end that we could not uh, require it.
1: Mm-hmm. Understood. Okay, last question. I'll go to Shanetta.
2: Okay. Um. Let's see. What do I want to know? Uh, being someone from Dallas, of uh, a few years ago, you actually had a satellite campus here in Dallas where they partnered with Paul Quinn. Um, any thought to doing anything like that in the future again? Uh, our satellites have had very mixed success, mm. and in part, I think because until the whole oh, area of um, uh, of the budget is rationalized thoroughly it's hard to know what will happen with regard to satellites. They're very hard to manage um, uh, uh, with the size staff that we actually have. Uh, I would say, I mean, I think of Prairie View as being severely understaffed uh, in a way, Uh, but um, they are the positions that are budgeted um, for, for us. So until we have a more robust financial model, uh, it would be hard to do. So if I were to do a I get asked ask all the time about a law school, I get asked about I got a, just got a letter last week about a medical school. Here's what it takes to do those kinds of those kinds of things. Um, you have to have a huge pot of money as a, uh, as, as a start. Um, and um, and so ideally, if you were to do something in Dallas, it would be nice if somebody uh, endowed it. Um, so that there's some permanence to it, because it's hard to do it and then have to walk away because the legislature in a given year decides to decrease your fund funding. So that's the, that's the issue with state-funded anything, is that um, you will typically go through times when the state will reduce uh, funding, and then uh, you leave people kind of high and dry uh, when that occurs. So um, uh, state education is typically... Um, uh, funded on the basis of a formula, and that formula has to do with the kinds of programs that you are offering with the majors in particular fields and so forth. So so there's an almost uh, automatic uh, cutoff of programs if a certain number, uh, if it falls to a certain level of people who are interested in it. That's That's virtually automatic by mandate of the state. So, so there's a lot that goes into having um, a satellite. If you had something that was so immensely uh, popular that you could be guaranteed enrollment for an extended period of time, uh, you could have more confidence uh, setting something up. But if unless you're guaranteed that mm-hmm. um, with the revenue to follow, the state would likely never approve it. Everything we do mm-hmm. in terms of uh, satellite campus or additional programs has to be approved, not only by the Board of Regents of the A&M system, but also by the Coordinating Board of the state uh, and the um, the uh, uh, the people who oversee education in the state of Texas. So we've got layers and layers of people who have to approve everything we do. Okay. I have one more question, and I'm going to ask this on behalf of Tyler.
0: Tyler, you wanted to know what <laughs> if you can yes know what <laughs> can I ask? You? Can I ask? You? Go ahead. All right. So I am T Hayes, multi award winning filmmaker, uh, graduating senior in the communication department, and I have burning passion for film and television and storytelling and writing. When I I write like three hours a day, I was writing before. it yeah, and whatever. So for like peers of mine they're running to get go to film school at Howard or FSU after graduating from here when all these other HBCUs have have film programs but we don't have a film program it's so sad and i can only imagine you know how how much you know more professional or more experienced or the things we could learn if we had a film program here at P- A&M University so what would it take to get a to establish a film major and I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard this. I know professors like TVB and Clomax and Blackwell probably pitched this idea to you. But I want to let you know, there's a there's a, a burning desire in us comm students to have a, a film major here. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's uh, actually quite expensive to do. And again, anything that is proposed has to have a certain number of students in it. Remember, think of the fields that we've lost at Prairie View um, because there are not enough students in the field at Prairie View. And that's, again, the consequence of being a state a state institution. Uh, so some in some ways, I think it is a clever way to do film at a place that has those kinds of restrictions uh, is really to do it the way some other famous film places do it. And that is You don't try to have a film school, but what you do is you give students every opportunity to do film, uh, to build portfolios for advanced work in filmmaking and so forth. Um, And uh, frankly, at the graduate level, there is no bias in favor of undergraduate film schools, none at all. Okay. And so you can be an English major and get into the best film school. Uh, you could be a major in any subject and do, and do that. Well, the only thing they care about is whether or not um, you have um, the basic technical skills um, to be able to get into film school and to benefit from it. And there are ways to do that without going through the state process of trying to convince them to do a film school. Because they. my guess is they would never do it because of the expense of it and because we have not built a profile yet to offer it. So, so, um, so that that method is used quite effectively by a lot of universities that just have decided that that's the way they want to do film. Um, when you're on the writing end of it, uh, then even more so. Uh, so, so, for example, if you are, um, uh, you know, the the film craft. Um, and particularly in terms of writing scripts and uh, things of, of, of that uh, nature, um, those are easily done in, in the kind of context that I'm uh, talking about. Uh, when it comes to actual the actual technical aspect of filming and so forth, it doesn't take much to get that uh, in place and we could institute that without approval. So if we wanted to have a faculty member who teaches courses in um, certain uh, uh, kinds of film, we could do that. As soon as we say we want a film program, uh, that's when the state gets involved in it. So I think that the the way to do it is to start with those kinds of courses, which I very much favor, um, and to, to allow students to build capacity uh, some of the most famous film people you know have gotten into film exactly the way that I'm I'm describing, and I happen to know that because um, many of the uh, many of them come from Brown, where I was president, and so there are people like John Krasinski who went to Brown with absolutely no film school, um, and and still uh, made his way into Hollywood and to a very successful career, and Laura Linney went to Brown, the same thing. Uh, there have been directors, uh, producers, uh, and many others who came through this non-film program and, become, and have become very successful. Uh, I think the reason for that actually is, um, from what I learned at USC when I was there as uh, as a dean, is that what film people love is um, uh, is not so much the technical piece of it. Um, what What makes film work, um, are the ideas, the creativity. Um, and so they're looking for people who have something different, um, uh, a, a different approach, um, uh, new ideas, uh, people who understand that fundamentally the human condition. And that's why I think a lot of people from, from the, from literature actually end up going into film because, uh, literature and the arts tend to cap- capture uh, humanity in a very uh, in a very strong way so that's a long answer to uh, let's talk about what we can do to get the courses in first
1: I mean yeah. I can listen to you give answers like that all day just, <laughs> just being honest but
0: <laughs> please excuse me this is the intern speaking I just need to run an ad real quick because rapport will be right back with Dr. Roof I promise
2: uh, wanna, well I'm I'm old and so I have a lot of I've been through almost everything that you could bring up because I've been around so
1: long. I, <laughs> I mean just, just wow. Okay. Yeah, right.
2: I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I don't give a shout out to your brother, Clarence Doublefield for his just standout performance and for winning the 1962 NAIA championship for men's basketball. So I just wanted to shout him out. because was- I have to hear about that every day. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, he, feels that. he feels that I'm messing up his legacy at Prairie uh- <laughs> Because, because he's, he's the greatest, all right? And he is Elmo baby, you know? And, and that main team... Um, oh my goodness! It was a thrill of a lifetime for me to see that team play uh, uh, when when they were at their prime. It was it was really thrilling. Yeah, can you, can
0: you share us a little more about that? We don't we don't necessarily get that historical framework. Could you tell us you know a quick story about the time that you actually got to see them play? and What was that like? The atmosphere, watching that.
2: Well, it was it was quite uh intense to put to put it mildly. You know, when a team is um is winning that way and he was quite uh important he he would downplay it because Zelmo uh was uh you know of course went on to uh to the um uh, to professionals uh, uh basketball and mm-hmm. and was was very famous uh but he he was kind of a team leader and um and you know we we've talked about point guard versus point forward and all of that kind of stuff but and he loses me when he gets started on that but <laughs> but um but it was uh electric um and uh you know when you have an opportunity to see any athlete perform at the highest level i, I that's the only way you can really describe it uh it's it's phenomenal and there's uh, I think general recognition among people who are experiencing it that they're seeing something very special, um, and and because they are seeing something very special, um, they impart that energy to the team, and so the team is just feeding off of that and um, and performing at you know at at, at a very high level. Um, I think, too, in at that time, uh, you know, my brother, um, when he came along, I mean, he didn't really have anything else. I had two standout basketball players in my family, and he was um, he and the brother next to him, Ruben, were uh, both on championship teams at Wheatley in Houston. Um, Mm -hmm. Ruben was the better uh, basketball player. Uh, Than Clarence. Um uh, to hear yeah.
0: first. Sorry. <laughs> I was saying you heard to hear first. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you know we tell him that all the time. And he was, I don't know. He has a big ego. But uh, but but uh, but uh, but Reuben decided. I'm sorry. Uh, Ruben Reuben decided to become a fireman instead, mm. and he became the first black uh, fire captain in Houston. Um, and, and so Clarence went on to, uh, to Prairie View. He always said that he thought Prairie View thought it was getting Ruben instead of Clarence. (laughs) Um, but he did exceedingly well. Uh, and, um, as a, you know, uh, on that team, uh, Mm -hmm. as did everybody on, on the team, frankly. And I went to, um, to Indianapolis last year when our team made it to, um, to Indianapolis. And I will say that you know, when you get to that level of play, um, there is it's a it's a different order of uh, spirit uh, involved. And that's what it was during that um, that historic team. They were uh, they were they were feeding off of each other, um, uh, they were uh, the, the high quality of so many, on on the team at the time um their uh, their generosity toward each other because as you know you know when you're you have a team sport sometimes another person has to recede in order for the team to win and and they exhibited all of those really good uh, those really good qualities but but it was all about pride and as I say my brother didn't really have he came we came from a very poor, um uh background and uh and he didn't have a lot of opportunities in his life and basketball gave that to him and Prairie View gave that to him and so you can imagine what that would have meant in a world in which um this is some miracle that gives you uh uh, a way uh to express yourself to show your worth and so forth it was tremendous, just tremendous. And for me, as a younger sister uh, watching that, I wonder if I'm, I must have been influenced by the fact that that um, that I was able to see that somehow because I went on, I don't think that before that I thought much about going to college right but um, but but seeing what he was going through, um, I could then think about possibilities for myself. Um, and so he inspired a lot of people, uh, with his, with his work and, and certainly in my family, uh, he did. That
3: is awesome. Thank you for it. Yes. I, I think
2: that's more words than I've said about him. <laughs> <laughs> um, because when, we were, when we were growing up, he was, he, he was not very nice to me. Um, he would, he, he would, you know, um, uh, bully me around you know uh, make me do uh, oh get up he'd walk into a room and if i was seated seated he'd say get up i want to sit down for example and he hates it when i tell these stories um but but, but it's absolutely absolutely true so he was very he was very uh i grew up in a, a completely male dominated family from my father to my seven brothers and the girls didn't matter very much, you know. We were we were nothing, so uh, uh, we we didn't we didn't get to eat when they ate. They get, they got all the food because they were important and they ate first. I can I know I can't believe this now, right? Wow! Um, that they had to get got to eat first, but anyway, so so he was he felt quite entitled, quite entitled, and I I don't ever let him forget that today. <laughs> and and, the, and and I torture him by telling these things publicly. <laughs> <laughs> he <especially hates> <laughs> so, so when I was uh, when I was asked to go to Prairie View, um, I went to him and I said, you know, I, you will never believe what happened. I've been asked if I would fill in at Prairie View for a short while. Wow. And he said immediately, well, you must do it. And I said, But I'm retired. <laughs> he said, But you need to do this because you've never done anything for black people. I said, What? <laughs> How, did How did you say that? Don't you remember? I worked at Selman and you said, Oh, yes, man. but that's girls. Oh, oh. <laughs> come on, Clint. <laughs> oh, that's girls. That's not the same as working with crazy people. Oh yeah. He's, he's, uh, and he hasn't changed by the way. He's, he's still pretty much the same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dr. Simmons, how
3: how would you compare the, the, the fan spirit? To that period to, I guess, what you would see now, I mean, outside of homecoming, homecoming is it's, it's, own.
2: Not, as, it's not as consistent, I would say, as as I would like for it to be. I, okay. I, I, sort, of, I, I sort of feel that every time we have uh, a contest, mm-hmm. that it should be packed yes. with students who <laughs> yes. are absolutely obsessed about um, about uh, our winning. You know, and people make fun of me because you know I'm always trash talking, uh, especially with respect to, to TSU. Every chance I get, and the <laughs> TSU president uh, can call, call me tomorrow and chastise me because I did it again yesterday at an event that I went to <laughs> about TSU. But it just seems to me that's the whole basis of competitiveness, right? Yes. Is throwing yourself into it. And and I think what our students miss is how much that helps them in their efforts academically. And so uh, so I just I, you know, I'm constantly talking to people about trying to um, get more interest from students in um, in being present for contests, because our athletes are doing that for us. Right? Yes, and the only the, what we need to do is to show that we're in it for them. So, uh, so I think we have a lot of work to do. Is the is the answer to that? And I think that it is uh, somewhat much, so, somewhat less than what I'm accustomed to do on campuses. Um, as I said, you know, well, you can't you can't really talk about Notre Dame because that's that's another world. But when I was at Notre Dame. Uh, Honestly, the the passion that people have for that place, which comes back in so many ways to to the university, and I I give a lot of commencement speeches, and I have to say that on the campuses where uh, where sport is big, mm-hmm. uh, you feel it as soon as you walk on the campus. I gave a commencement speech at um, at the University of Oklahoma, and it, it's everywhere. Uh, on that campus, you you see what how much they value their athletes. And of course, I was a dean at USC. Oh my goodness! Um, the whole drama of marching from the campus to the Coliseum, you know, and uh, and and the, and the this guy riding around on a horse. Honestly, I mean, it was <laughs> it was unbelievable. If you did not go. To the games, okay. It's been that way everywhere that I've ever uh, that I've ever been. So we need to help our students understand that that's as much a part of their experience as anything else that they are going to have. In, Absolutely, in- right. I One hundred percent agree. Excellent.
1: Well, Dr. Simmons, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. <laughs> this has been fantastic. Uh, this you. is even. Oh, just better than expected. So, are you gonna, thank cut you, so out much. That,
2: you gonna cut out the stuff I said
1: about Clarence? No, that's oh, no. no. my title. This episode, come on, Clarence. That's gonna be the
3: teaser.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, he's a great person. Yeah. We love him. <laughs> so okay, thank
1: you so much. We'll support okay. in any way we can, but thank you so much for joining okay. us. My pleasure.
2: Love Bye-bye. you
0: and that is a wrap for first season of the 1876 sports and culture podcast we'll see y'all next season remember august round labor to classic town we will be back season two comes thank you for all the support thank you for all the, the listeners the plays and and sitting through our ads and advertisements and everything and we love y'all so much we want to show uh, our appreciation to you guys thank you so much that is a wrap we will see y'all August.